Well, good morning, Renovation, and we are continuing today in Mark chapter 12, and we will hopefully be there another, at least another week. We'll see, as you know me, we seem to have the habit of extending um, a series, so we will see. But it's great to be here again, and, and as we've said over and over, the capability to do what we're doing. And as we've said, and as I've told some of you along the way, and I think I may have mentioned in the sermon that I heard someone during this time that we've been in that, that when we're in church together in person, it is like an echo of heaven. It's not heaven, but it's an echo of heaven. And online streaming is an echo of the echo. So, but it is an echo. And so we just are thankful and grateful and feel blessed that we've got this capability. We don't know how much longer it'll be this way and doing it just this way. And, but we're just trying to be watchful, prayerful, but we are thankful, and that's where we're starting today. In Mark chapter 12, one of the teachers of the law came and, and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbors yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Just a little backdrop, if you're joining us for the first time in this series, just to kind of give you, a, a, and you can go back and listen to them, uh, to, the, to the messages over the last few weeks, but just a reminder, because I think it's important as we, as we speak on this today, that, that we have kind of the, the, the setting of where we started from. And one of them was this, two weeks ago, talked about the fact of, breaking down the whole concept of love the Lord your God. And two subtle, we talked about two subtle major things that damage love. One is this, it's distrust. Or you don't trust someone's motive. When you don't understand, you know, when, when, you, when you lose that trust, you're not sure of someone's goodness, you're not sure of their motive. And so, and we talk about it, when we have trust, Trust, and this is in a marriage, this is in culture, this is in anything. Trust leads to respect. Respect leads to vulnerability. Vulnerability leads to the opportunity for conversation or dialogue. And if there's a need for reconciliation, now there is a platform for that. But when you don't have trust, all that kind of goes away. You don't have the rest of that. So trust is so critical. It's so underrated. As I've said over and over, it's crazy how underrated it is. The other one was indifference. To love your, the Lord your God with all, and which is what we talked about last week, it refers back to indifference. To love the Lord your God with all, where all the parts are present and working as a whole. It's the total opposite of indifference. And I gave this definition last week, and, and if we've got it up on the screen, I think I sent this as a PowerPoint, but the definition I had of all, all means to follow him, God, to love, to love God with all means to follow him utterly, absolutely, with heart, mind, soul, and strength, in deep conviction, and without any reservation or misunderstanding that you are all in. So if people knew you, people were asked about you, and asked about this particular thing, they would go, oh yeah, they're all in. Because I see it in their conviction. I, there's, no, there's no misunderstanding of where they are. 
So today I'm going to talk about the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I teach on this as far as the, the soul and the spirit and the body and, 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 and our uncommon uh, training that we do here. But I'm not going to get into it that way today. I'm going to break it down a little bit different and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. And I'm going to combine heart and soul because I think it's hard sometimes when you read scripture. It, it, and I've looked at it from multiple ways for years. Sometimes it's hard to separate those two, even though you, you can in some ways. But I'm going to tie those two together. But I do want to mention heart here first, just so you know that nowhere in Scripture is it referring to the physical heart. Even though it's cardia, it, it's not referring to the physical heart. But it's referring to the effective center of our being, if you will, it has the capacity of moral preference. This is what our, the definition, the moral preference. It's the desire producer that makes us tick. So when you talk about someone's heart, it's where you would find their desires, their passions, and a lot of other things. We'll talk about that in just a second. So I'm going to talk today about heart and soul together because I believe the heart and some of this, the, the reading I'm doing, the heart and the, and the, where the heart and the spirit mysteriously tie together, they make up the heart. So, the, excuse me, I say the soul. The soul and the spirit. Getting myself off here. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, and I don't have the scripture up, that the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. And who can know it? So the heart is something we've got to look at. We've got to know we're born with this nature that's been away from God we talked about last week. It's almost trying to, it's bending us away from God all the time until the spirit comes in and begins to straighten us back up and then we're bent towards God. It's a very simplistic way to say it because there's a lot that goes into that. But the heart is deceitful to love God with all of our soul. Genesis 2, 7 states that a man was created as a living soul. The soul is the direct result of God breathing or blowing his gift, the breath of life, into us. We hear the word breath, and we, we've heard it a lot over the last many months, and we understand that. It's, but there is that thought of physically being able to breathe, but it goes much deeper than that. It is what God breathed in our very soul, our very identity is breathed into us by an almighty God. But the soul, again, is the seat of affection and will. It's the reason why it ties so closely to the heart in this sense. It is the self. It's the Greek, where we get the Greek, the Greek word here is where we get the English word, psych or psychology. And the definition of the soul is a person's distinct identity. And let me say that because I want to make sure you understand this. The soul is our distinct identity. It's that unique personhood, that individual personality. There's nobody like you. And somebody in, your, in the room said, amen, there's not another one of you. <laughs> but it's your distinctness. The divine has breathed life into you. And you're distinct. Your unique personhood. 
Now, some can take that as individualistic and run with that. I get it. And they can make a whole uh, religion, if you will, out of that. You know, and just, I got to go find myself and I got to go. I realize that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about that turning away from God and just finding yourself. What, what I want to encourage you here, you have a unique personhood that God has designed. There is no one else like you. That's good news. I love what Dallas Willard says about the soul. He said, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. No external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but your soul. It is the life center of the human being. It regulates whatever's occurring in each of our dimensions, how they interact with each other and respond to surrounding events in the overall governance of our life. The soul is deep, and it is foundational, and also in the sense that it lies almost totally beyond our conscious awareness. That's a lot of words there, and you know how I feel about Dallas Woodard, and he, he, there's times he really is extremely deep, but I appreciate that. He said, what is running our life? It's not the circumstances around. It's not everything that's happening. It's what's in you and how you're responding. We need to think about it because so many of us respond to what's happening around us. And he said it's so deep that many times we don't realize it. Actually, most of the time we don't realize it. We talk about it here a lot about blind spots, and we may talk about it more in the next few weeks. But the reason why we need people in our life who hold us accountable, truly love us and hold us accountable, because there's a side of me I let you see, there's a side of me I don't let you see, and there's a side of me I can't see without your help. So I need People in my life to say, where is that coming from? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 26, what good is it for a man, for someone actually, to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? But I want to reread it here, and, 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 and as we think about our soul, I want to reread it with this thought. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their, forfeit their unique personhood? So many times we read this passage of Scripture that Jesus is, is spoken here, and we almost read it as if, or I have at least, and maybe I'm casting what I, how I sense something on you. But sometimes I read that, what good is it a man for, or a woman to gain the whole world but yet lose their soul? I almost think about the judgment seat. Something way out there. That's not what Jesus, that, that's included. But what Jesus is saying here, I believe, is what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their unique personhood? Their distinct identity given by the divine. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their unique personhood? Because you know people are doing it. It's called peer pressure. We could probably list off a lot of things today that we would say that people have exchanged or traded for their unique personhood. 
Because we talked about it last week in, in Ephesians chapter 3, 23, 24, I think it is, where we were to recover the divine nature, the image of God stamped on us in true righteousness and true holiness. holiness. Not to be God, but to, to be like God. There's that divine nature that's been stamped on us. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit that? Luke 6, 43 through 45 says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Whoo! It's a reason why when Willard says that, it's many times below the consciousness because so many times what we say is, I spoke that because of the circumstances. I spoke that because of what you said. Jesus says, no, it comes out of the overflow of your heart. It's not the circumstances you spoke that. It's not all those other things that spoke. It's not because somebody else did something you spoke it. You spoke it out of what overflowed out of your heart, who you are. And we've said it many times, you're talking about agape love. Is it what's so awesome about the freedom when we begin to love like Christ's love is, is that I don't love you because of what you have or have not done. You can slander me, you can spit on me, you can curse me, you can do whatever. But I love you, but one thing you can't do is take away my love for you because my love for you is because of who I've become in Christ. It's because of what's stored up in my soul. I want to read this, and we'll move on, but I want to read this again, just again for our, to just make sure we're understanding it, and if it helps you, it helped me. A good man or woman brings good things out of the good stored up in his or her unique personhood. An evil man or woman brings evil things out of the, uh, out of the evil stored up in his or her unique personhood. For the mouth speaks what the unique personhood is full of. Quit blaming it on all the circumstances. You have an option to allow God to begin to change your very soul. Where the spirit of the Holy Spirit interacts with the soul, something beautiful begins to happen. And I begin to react because of who I become, not because of what's happening around me. I love the Lord, my God, with all my unique personhood. The mind. Love the Lord, my God, with my mind, all my mind. The mind is the understanding, yes, intellect, yes, insight, yes, But what I love about the definition, it means the ability of the movement from one side of an issue to the other. Thorough reasoning that incorporates both sides of a matter to reach a meaningful conclusion. Your mind. It's really where we get dialectical thinking which refers to the ability to view issues from multiple perspectives 
and to arrive at the best and reasonable reconciliation of seemingly contradictory information and positions. Let me say that again. Dialectical thinking, which, which refers to the ability to view issues from multiple perspectives and to arrive at the best and reasonable reconciliation of seemingly contradictory information and positions. It literally means reaching across to the other side. Do we need that in our culture today? To say, I want to know all the information. I don't want to just know what's been poured into my head from a group of people or from the news or, or from whatever way I was raised. I want to know this from all perspectives. See, our tendency, I believe, is to compare my best with your worst. That is the tendency we have today. I want to compare what I believe is, at least I believe is my best, and I'm going, to, I'm going to begin to figure out, even if it's a small percentage, I'm going to figure out what your worst is, and then we're just going to compare those two. Instead of best to best and worst to worst, and we find out when we do that, all of a sudden, we're not much different. And we may have some positional differences. I'm not saying that, but we realize we all are flawed. We all need God's grace. We all need God's spirit to lift us up. And we all maybe, maybe just maybe have something to bring to the table that will make us all become more of what we're supposed to be. But if we don't trust, what happens when we don't trust is we either get into our corner and we go silent or we get volatile and we attack. But when trust leads to respect, respect to vulnerability, potential for vulnerability, from vulnerability now is dialogue or dialectic thinking or conversation, which if needed, reconciliation. But God has given us this mind to be able to look at both sides. You know, God is not scared when you ask questions to him about, well, why did this happen or why did that happen? Or you start searching, going, where did the Bible come from? Where, what about the historical things of this and that? He's not scared. I've told people for years, and people will ask questions, and they go, well, Pastor Kurt, what about that? Or they may not call me Pastor Kurt, but what about that right there? And I said, many times I go, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. But if you're really interested in knowing the answer to that, I'll work with you to try to figure this out. Because I'm sure that question has probably been asked multiple times over the last 2,000 years, and I'd be glad to see if we can figure out what the answer to that is. I'm not afraid. And if, and if somewhere along the way there's something I need to learn, I need to learn. Even what we've gone through this summer, you, you can get in your camp if you want to. Okay, stay over there and get silent or get volatile. But I would rather come out and say, I want to learn more. I want to know more. I want to listen. Mine's an awesome thing, though, isn't it? I think everybody, no matter believer, non-believer, no matter what party or whatever, you'd have to admit that our minds are some pretty fascinating things. I mean, it's where we hold our, I mean, not only knowledge and information and our intellect and things of that nature, uh, but, but we retain memories, good or bad. Re reasoning, emotional feelings, body functions, I mean, your mind, your brain, this is this fascinating thing. I mean, I, I saw a video years ago of your brain, talking about your brain, 
and it had these TV screens, like hundreds of TV screens up, and your mind, and it says, you know, your mind is almost like that, and of course, it's way beyond that, but it's so many things it could be thinking about, like right now, that you could be thinking about what the temperature is in the room, but you probably weren't until I said something. You could be thinking about if you have socks on right now, how the socks feel on your feet right now, but you were not thinking about it beforehand, right? How does that mask feel on your face? And of course, most of you are at home, but we have them here. You may not have been thinking about it a little bit ago, but now your mind goes, whoosh. It's unbelievable what our mind can do. But our mind also can take us to bad places, to have us focus on guilt and shame, fear, anxiety, addictions. There's a lot of things, our mind, but when God comes in and begins to take it over, you know, our vision, uh, when I was reading this, and there's a lot we could talk about here, and I got to get going, but about the mind, I could just stay on this. This is just a fascinating thing to me. But our vision seems to take precedent over other senses. And this is why it's so important to us, even what we talked about last week, as we'll talk about even next week. I read where... If you hear a piece of information, three days later, you'll remember 10% of it. I mean, if it's important enough to you, you'll remember 10% of it. But you add a picture and you'll remember 65% of it. See, I, sometimes I don't remember what I preached last week, let alone what you guys remember about what I preached last week. Our mind is this ongoing movie screen that provides pictures and words that are endless, endless, endless. You just, I talked to a friend of mine this week. He, he brought up something that happened 40 years ago. Well, my, well, there's a movie screen that popped up in my mind. Now, we don't always remember exactly the way it was. The reason why sometimes eyewitnesses are not very good witnesses, to be honest with you, because they, they didn't see what they thought they saw. But again, we don't get, but my point is this. They've got this movie screen that's going on, but this is what I want to say to you. That's the reason why the saying, I think I got it from Brother Paul, a sermon heard is soon forgotten, but a a sermon seen is hardly ever forgotten. We talked about last week, Brother Paul, what didn't just, I went to meet Brother Paul and I got a theology lesson because I saw a sermon out of his life taught to me, not just words, but I saw a life. So when we watch it, Parents, I want to tell you, uh, co-workers, I want to tell you, um, uh, husbands and wives, I want to tell you, a sermon heard from Pastor Kurt is soon forgotten, but a sermon seen in your home is never forgotten. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul states that the, uh, and we've, you've heard it before, we had it last week, but I'll read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper worship or your reasonable, reasonable worship. It's what's reasonable. In view of what God has done, this is reasonable in another translation. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your reasoning, your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul states that the major part of being transformed, especially to the image of Christ and what we talked about last week, requires our minds to be renewed. It's a big deal, folks. 
You've got to have God's word in you. And I'll tell you this to people. People asked me years ago, how, how come you grew so fast in your faith early on? I think it was because I got God's word into me and other things had to leave. There just wasn't room for it anymore. That makes sense. It just got pushed out. It got drowned out. But Romans 12 says, and the word here for mind in Romans 12, and you can look it up if you want to, is the God-given capacity of each person to think or reason, the mental capacity to exercise reflective thinking. So when you have something coming in front of you, uh, I, I, I did a rap years ago, and I'm about to embarrass my family, but some of you would have, would have known this. I did a rap for a youth uh, retreat years ago back in 1998. We were up at Greer with a bunch of teens, and, and I was using this passage of Scripture, and it was talking about uh, it was talking about renewing your mind, and my rap was, stop the flow until you know. And if you don't know, don't go. Right? Hey. Stop the flow until you know, and if you don't know, don't go. Yeah, I know. That's, 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 that's going viral. I know. Some of you need to, till you know what God's reflective all sides of it is, you know where some of you need to know all sides of it? Is God's side about your shame that you're carrying. You need to know all sides of that. Because all you're hearing is the enemy side. You need to hear all sides. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who, 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 who sees you as precious, who has made you. He's breathed, if you will, the breath of life into you. You need to hear his side of it about your life. I love John Wesley. Many of you know, I, I wish I'd have known John Wesley, but, but you know, sometimes you get to know people you maybe didn't wish you did, but I think I would have. Okay, no, but John Wesley, I talked about last week, because it's, it's, it, we believe that part of loving God with our mind is loving him logically, and John Wesley believed that the reason, that reason was part of our theological makeup, and he said reason is powerful, so we can systematically and logically look at the ways God has intersected our lives and give him praise. I thought that was an awesome thought. You know, many, the, we use the Wesley, what I call the Wesley quasi-quadrilateral around here. And I don't know if we have that or not, but, but I mean, I'm not going to go deep into this or anything like that. But just so you know, many times people go, well, you Christians, you just, you just believe that Bible and you just, this. all I want to say is, this is how I end up at truth for my life is that I use experience, which experience alone, can you just use that and you skip around scripture and you just go to truth and you skip reason and you skip tradition and history. You skip that. Sometimes you can build a theology just off experience if you're not careful. You gotta be careful. And we can't just cherry pick. Sometimes you can say, well, my dad, for instance, or my dad or my mom was a bad dad or mom, so all moms and dads are bad. Well, that wouldn't make sense, right? So you, even though your experience would say something, it doesn't go all the way to truth. It may be true in your life. Hear me. It may, that experience may be true. I'm not questioning whether it was true or not. What I want to say is it's not truth. So Wesley believed that reason was critical 
in, in this. And God gave us permission, if you will, to, and he gave us a mind to reason it out. The experiences and, 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 and tradition, but they don't weigh as much as scripture. And here's what I want to say about scripture, what happens many times, or your ideology, whatever your ideology is. Maybe it's not Christianity, but for us it is. We can't cherry pick scripture either to fit what we want to believe. It's the reason why being in a healthy community of believers that calls you out going, okay, well, let's look at this scripture over here. Well, let's look at this over here. And sometimes we have to walk away going, you know what? It says at both places, this is where I've landed. I'm a Wesleyan by choice. My background is I preach holiness by choice because I believe that's where scripture lands. But you may disagree, I may get to heaven, and Jesus go, you know what, that wasn't, as, that wasn't as important to me as you thought it was. Okay, but I was, thought I was leading people to you. But I sure see it in Scripture. You, you explain that to me, Jesus. Can't you see me talking to Jesus that way? But I love this, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's the deal about demolishing arguments and every pretension. Demolish means we've rendered it useless, but it's still there. In other words, what I mean by that is that thing that I have now taken captive, I've demolished that stronghold in this sense. I've, I've, I've hopefully in my mind and my heart, but it's still there. And if I'm not careful, I can put it back in use in my life. And I gotta be, I gotta take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Let me remind you of this. Two things can happen. Our heart sometimes can overwhelm our reasoning, our mind, and we get so passionate about something and we hadn't thought it through. Anybody ever been there? But let me say the other side of this. Revelation also trumps logic. Forgiveness is a great example. Logic or reasoning would tell you something happened. And it may have. And you have every right to hold on to whatever you've held on to. But God's revelation says we forgive in order to be forgiven. For one thing. How many times do you forgive? What was 70 times seven? Sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving always exceeds the actual net worth of any offering, just so you know. That means despite our limitations, when we give to the kingdom, the results are disproportionately multiplied. My call to preach logically made no sense. God's revelation into my heart and mind trumped the logic. But let me give you a warning here for some of you because I can give you this warning based on my own experience and it's found in Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding and separating from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In other words, their mind And the term ignorance here is inexcusable, willful blindness of divine things. 
I lived there for a long time, called indifference if, to the point we finally reach, where your heart is hardened so hard. But John Piper says this, talking about the heart and mind working together. If a person doesn't move from intellectual awareness of God and right thinking about God to an emotional embrace of God, he hasn't loved God with all his mind. Amen? And the strength. I know we got to get out of here. Physical strength, yes. Might, ability, the force to overcome immediate resistance, in other words, perseverance. But what I love about it, it's, it's perseverant to the extent of one's ability or capability. And I'm going to read it even further. It's the possession of the qualities required to do something or get something done. Your strength. Let me say it again. Strength is the possession of qualities required to do something or get something done. I love the Lord my God with all my capabilities. See, Jesus calls us to love God, yes, with our physical muscle. In other words, whatever happens in our bodies should be to honoring to him. But with everything we have available for honoring him, which includes our marriage, our singleness, our family, our parenting, whether you live in a house, an apartment, or a dorm room, it means your clothing and what you wear. It means your cell phones and what you look at on social media. It means your movies and your music and your workplace and your money and your time. Whatever is at your disposal. But here's the thing that many Christians do. They think of the word disposable as disposable income. In other words, whatever's left over when it's all done, that's what I'll give to God and love him with whatever's left over. That's not what that means. It's what is at your disposal. What do you have right now from start to finish? What are you capable of? I think I have this up there. Tell me if I, I may not. But the strength of a person is not simply who he or she is, but what he or she has at their disposal and what they do with it. Our stories, our talents. I'm talking about our soul a while ago. Our spiritual gifts. And we can go on, on and on. Money is a part of our strength. By no means is it the most part, but it is part of it. And I'll say this about money. I don't know if you can go to a church in America that talks less about money than we talk about it here. <laughs> maybe so. But it's important. Maybe I should talk about it more. Because it's such a part of who we are. But the question is not whether someone has been faithful in tithing. Honestly, I think... Tithing lets some people off the hook. They are capable of way more. The question is, have you loved God with everything that is at your disposal? What you are capable of. Now, I'll be honest with you, during COVID, there has been concern about giving. And we started out the first few months that, you know, it was even beyond what we normally gave. And then the last few months, it's been really, honestly, in some ways, uh, concerning for me. But I have to remind myself over and over, and, 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 I'm, and I'm bringing it to you today, but I have to remind myself regularly that the church belongs to Christ. He is the owner, sustainer, author, and groom. He is in charge. 
My hope is that Christ will continue to use his limited, broken, that's us as a church, yet transcendent church, specifically here at Renovation, to press on with his mission, and we're trying to figure that out. I have to trust either his people are generous and believe in what we're doing, or they do not. But all I know is I am grateful. I hope, honestly, I hope that's ultimately what I'm known for more than anything else I ever, oh, my preaching or, 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 or my great singing or my rap songs, any of those things. I hope I'm known more as I'm gone someday, and I hope it's a long time from now unless Jesus comes back. That said about Kurt Gentry that he was grateful. He was thankful. At the heart of why Jan and I give is that we trust God. We're grateful in how he blesses our life. It's totally up to him. <laughs> yes, there are times that the blessings will, will never simply be material things, but many times they are. But what I always know is it will never be the point of the greater blessing. It's about what he's doing in me to trust him and hopefully affect others. That's what I hope. But I love what Proverbs eleven twenty four, and it's from our series. I used it in our series a while back uh, in the blessed life. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The passage we are in in Mark chapter 12, Christ is saying he wants all that we are, all that we have, all that we're capable of, everything we can do, Everything that is important to us and everything God gives us must be used in the love of God. I'm going to ask Josiah and him to come down as we close. How do I practically love Jan? We talked about it last week in Philippians 1.9. I won't read that for you again. But I want to know her in knowledge and depth of insight. I want to know her stories. I want to know her victories. I want to know her losses. I want to know her fears. Secondly, if I want to love Jan more, I need to know what's on her heart. What matters to her. And just see if I am capable as her husband helping make those things happen. See, when we find out what's on God's heart and we need to be asking him, We need to look at our abilities and capabilities and ask ourselves, can we make that happen? And here's a reminder, even with Jan, and mine and Jan's relationship, but especially mine and God's relationship, Christ, I don't seek to do those things because I'm concerned for my love for Jan, that she will not love me more. I, I am concerned about that things because I am convinced of her love for me. I am concerned about those things because I'm convinced of Christ's love for me, and because I'm convinced of Christ's love for me, I'm compelled to do it. I am grateful. See, I'm convinced for many of you just like me. Our problem is not that we don't love God enough, and maybe that's the case for some of us. But probably more significant than that in all of our lives, watching here, watching around the country in this room today, is not how much we love God. I just don't think we realize how much he loves us. 
to love the Lord my God without my unique personhood and all that comes with that, the stories, the hurts, the things, and the, and the victories. To love the Lord my God with all my mind and my reasoning and my thinking. To love the Lord my God with all that I am capable of. That is my prayer for you. I don't know when we'll be back together. It could be a month, it could be six weeks, it could be three. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know, I don't know. But what I do know is what we need to be doing in the meantime. That I'm convinced of. That has never changed. Christ's mission and his kingdom marches on. And he is calling people everywhere to love him with all, with all. No misunderstanding, with deep conviction, with all their unique personhood, with all their reasoning, with all their capabilities. That I'm convinced of. We have more capabilities and opportunities right now just to, just to research something, something you may have had an opinion on, maybe do some reflective thinking on all sides, maybe. But I wanna encourage some of you today, all you have heard is the enemy's side about your life. The enemy's been whispering and he's stealing. The word says in John 10, 10, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. He's been whispering. And I am going to encourage you today to look at God's side. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save it. That's you and I. And then he begins to give us freedom to use the very things the enemy used to beat us up on to use for his glory. We'll take things from the devil, as my friend Dr. Samuel used to say, and slap him with it. (laughs) And God get the glory. Let me pray for us. We'll sing. Lord, I pray across this country and around the world who knows where people are listening I don't know the answer to that but Lord I do know this those who are listening the call is to love you with all of our heart soul mind and strength and we'll talk more next week about loving our neighbors ourselves but Lord we can't love our neighbors ourselves there is that is never going to happen unless we do the first part maybe this week we need to examine our lives but Lord, why we, the one reason why we speak so much about the whole training of uncommon here is that we are unique. You've made us certain ways, or you're taking something that we've even done to ourselves or someone else has done to us and going to make it something beautiful. But Lord, you've given us talents. You've given us uh, spiritual gifts. You've given us something divine. We want to use those for your glory. You've given us time, talent, and treasure. But for some today, they may need to step up and begin to give and sacrifice because we know, Lord, the economics of the kingdom are different. It multiplies in an unbelievable way, and the blessings may not come materially, but, Lord, you have a way of doing it in ways we would never know. Lord, I pray right now that across this room, though, and around this valley and around this country and around the world, Lord, from our leadership in all these countries and our leadership in this country and our community would let their minds be renewed by you that we would desire with great passion 
to be people of reconciliation. To our great purpose, back to you and to others. Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. As we sing, if you pray, then we will come back and close. Blessings.